1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Welcome back to the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's a budget-friendly Solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. We're also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge uses artificial intelligence to track deer. So they're using military-grade intelligence, algorithms, science, all the things that we don't necessarily equate to hunting. Um, And we're using them to track wild animals. So they're using radio deer studies, uh, weather, historic uh, car deer accidents, insurance company information, uh, social media, all of that, those types of things, they're using to predict deer movement in each different region. So deer in the south move differently than the deer in the northeast than they do in the midwest. And All of these things, they've got millions, billions, if not trillions of data points to corroborate all of this. And so what they're doing is they're patterning these deer and saying, in these conditions, they move in these areas. And that is available now on an app. So Spartan Forge, you can go to spartanforge.ai and you can take a look at that. There's a 14-day free trial um, and... You can get 25% off when you decide to to subscribe to this by using code BOWHUNTER. Now, what that does is there's a lot of big things in the works. Uh, We talk about it a little bit at the end of this podcast, but it actually, um, there's a a follow-on. Once the data gets to a certain point, they're going to be able to not only say uh, when, but exactly where or uh, in these areas. Um, this is where you're going to want to be. Um, and then the the software is, is increasing dramatically as well. And what that does by signing up now locks in the price so you get grandfathered in. Uh, but you can get 25% off the price right now um, and keep that price uh, by using code BOWHUNTER. And that's at SpartanForge.ai. Um, so real quick, for everybody that is still listening on the intro and hasn't it, passed by this we're giving away a bow we're giving away a bow not to our patreons uh they're certainly entered to win you know the more they have more entries to win but anybody can win this bow we're giving away a Bowtech carbon zion we're not getting it from Bowtech. we're getting it for with help from our local shop johnson's great outdoors uh but this is like coming out of our pocket so we, our bow hunting podcast, we decided that we wanted to give back to the listener and we're giving away this bow. Uh, John's going to set it up. He's going to, uh, we're going to document the whole thing. Uh, we've got one of the new HHA single pin tetra sites on there. HHA rest um, is going to be completely set up and ready to go. 60 pounds, right-handed. Um, all you got to do is sign up to win. So you can go to our website, bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. Oh, in the upper right-hand corner, there's a thing that says enter to win. That's all you got to do. Um, if you're on our Instagram, if you click the link in our bio, the top one says win a Bowtech Carbon Zion. That's all you got to do. You know, you, you got to be in the U.S. We're not shipping it out of the country. Uh, but we're giving that away uh, when we're up at the Total Archery Challenge. You don't got to be there to, to win it. Um But we're just going to go live at our cookout and give it away. So, um, like I said, that doesn't have anything to do with our Patreon giveaways, anything like that. That's just for you, the listener. And right now, you know, you got plenty of time until June. But there's going to be other ways additionally to win through some of the other giveaways and things that we're doing as well. But there's 119 people entered. So, those are incredible odds, especially if you're a Patreon, because there's only 79 Patreons. So... There's like 40 people outside of Patreon. Some of our Patreons have entered multiple times. So there's an excellent opportunity to win an incredible bow. It's the same bow that I'm going to be shooting this year. Um, You know, we didn't just say, what's the cheapest bow that we can find? This is a bow that we would shoot that I have shot. And it's an attainable bow for anybody uh, with an incredible. You know, There's tons of upside and very little downside uh, for this bow. So I just want to get that out there. We're giving that away to anybody. Now, uh, for our Patreons, Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. So it helps us um, pay for the show. So, I mean, the upkeep for the website, for the hosting, for all that, any of the equipment that we're using, um, all that stuff, We're we can make better videos better podcasts we can travel we can do all of these things uh, because of the patrons so the Patreons are you know the number one they're what fund this show and so uh, to help us out with that you can go to patreon.com forward slash podcast you can click on the that same link uh, where you enter to win the bow and click on patreon you know there's different tiers but basically it's like you know you can start at you know, it's $5 a month, 17 cents a day, and you get entered to win. You know, with what money doesn't go back into the show or anything like that, we do giveaways. So, we want to give you, you know, the people that support us as much as we possibly can. Um, so, what we're giving away uh, from Tacticam, Tacticam is giving a, a 5.0, uh, so it's a Tacticam, it's 4K, it'll accept a remote and a Turkey Reaper. And so, it's not it's not legal in Michigan, but for you guys that want to hook it onto your bow or your gun in other states, um, it's certainly you know a really cool practice. If you just can't do it in Michigan. Um, and then Tacticam says anything that you kill with that, they want you to send it into them so that they can edit they can edit it and post it up on their site. So that's super cool, just in its own right. Um, Latitude Saddles has sent us. Uh, one of their classic saddles. And we said that that's great. I love the, the classic, but you can't do anything with just a saddle. You need ropes, you need sticks, you need all that. So I've got some XOP mini sticks and artisan outdoor, um, fabrication is given a, one of the platforms that I've been hunting off for the last year. Um, the last two years actually. And we're going to get you set up with the ropes. So you're going to have a complete saddle package ready to hunt we're giving that away uh, we work with Base Map. Basemap is like the most affordable you know powerful uh, mapping software um, I mean for the price it's $30 for a year uh, for the entire country tons of layers um, it has lake information so you can see depths for right now for ice fishing um, you can go, you go online you go to basemap.com or basemap.app and um you can use code chronicles and save 20% there um so you can get it for $24 so $2 a month for you know mapping software where you may pay $30 you know for one state um so you know it's just a great value there you know me I'm on the cheaper side uh, but they're giving away one of those pro packages with some swag a hat uh shirt You know, that sort of thing. Um, Spartan Forge, we talked about in the intro. um, They're giving away the same thing. So a subscription to that, yearly subscription, uh, and hat, shirt, all that stuff. And the guys from Zinger Fletching, uh, 3D printed, uh, you know, compression fit fletchings. Um, So, you know, if you rip a fletch, shoot one, you just pull it off, put another one on there. Um, You know, no glue, no anything, you know. Super cool idea. They just changed up their design a little bit to quiet it down. I know some guys were having issues with that. We're giving away one of those. And so we do this. All that stuff is giving, giving away one quarter. So that'll be given away, you know, the first week of April. And then we start on the next quarter, uh, which will be more gear from Tacticam. Um, we're going to be giving away a beast stand. Um, I'm going to get that ordered here um, in the next month. And so we'll have that uh, when it comes down to the second quarter, the end of the second quarter. So, uh, our latest Patreons, uh, my buddy Matt Dedamore here in here in Muskegon. Um, Brad Collins, uh, BDS Outdoors. So he's in Tennessee. Uh, you know, go follow him on social media. He's got a YouTube started up, um, got a Facebook. Uh, Jeff Coat in Massachusetts. Thank you so much. And Brian Barnes, I'm not sure if I hit you up last time, uh, but I need an address. So um, I've got some swag packs that are going out for all my public land assassins, the guys that upgraded, the guys that are in that second tier. Um, I've got all your beanies. I'll be sending those out here uh, so you don't get them in the summer when it's <laughs> when you don't need a beanie, right? Um, but thank you so much to those guys. Um, this episode is came directly from the Patreons. They said... You know, we want to learn more about self-filming. So we went out and found a self-filming guy with Garrett. You know, anybody that's listened to us has to know who Garrett is. Um, Garrett Peral, DIY sportsman, wealth and knowledge, great guy. You guys are going to love the podcast. All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, amongst our Patreons, like we asked, like, what... Do they want to hear about like guests that we've had on i mean we've um, you know we've been doing this long enough now that we're getting new listeners that haven't uh, heard all of our earlier shows. thank goodness um hopefully we've come a long way. John speaks more this this time if you can believe it um, but one of the questions that they had, and I think is a great topic is self filming and you know we dabble in self filming we we are by no means. Um, you know, vloggers or, uh, you know, not killers or any of that nature. So we kind of, you get what you get with us. Um, but we were trying to think about who to have on. We've had people on from like the industry, that side of it. And it's sometimes hard for them to, you know, go back to starting out. And um, r- right now on the line, we've got Garrett Peral, um, DIY sportsman. Um, you know, I, I say... You know somebody who's gone from, you know, self filming to right up there, close to you know, industry quality, I would say. Or he's he's knocking on the door. Um, so how are you doing tonight, Garrett? Doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no problem. How was that for a uh, for an intro? let l- talk a little bit about your um, filming career.
3: Yeah. So I think my first videos that I had started taking and, and posting YouTube were probably around. 2005, 2006. So quite a while I've been doing it at various levels. And for the most part, it's always been kind of driven towards YouTube quality, but there's definitely a, a period in there where I went down the rabbit hole of, at the time, DSLRs and, you know, more recently mirrorless cameras and the various different lenses and, you know, prosumer and professional type of equipment, uh, and then even dialing it back to stuff that's more easy to use. As a cell filmer, because just because something is set up for good quality doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to use. I've had good friends along the way who actually have done professional video, and so I've gotten to work with you know the $10,000 rigs and, and things like that on occasion. Um, but certainly, I think what the years have taught me is that there's things that you probably you know should be doing, things that you might think you need to do, but probably don't really need to. Some things that are definitely more important than others that might be, I guess, overlooked. And then purely from the hunting aspect, little uh, tips and tricks and things like that, that will definitely make your lives a lot easier when you don't have a separate person up there to film for you.
2: So what do you think, like, I guess, what was the equipment when you started out? So, I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago, but. You know, in in reality, we're talking like fifteen years ago. So, what was the equipment like when you started out versus the options that you have today?
3: So, when I first started off, it was a lot of like mini DV tapes on cameras. Like, they didn't really SD cards are just kind of becoming a thing, and I probably couldn't afford one at the time. So, I filmed on the little tapes, and really, the biggest difference was you had to you know, hook up cords and things like that directly to your computer to get the master transfers. Now it's Obviously, much easier with the realm of SD cards. But in terms of footage quality and things like that, too, we didn't really have HD. There was no 4K. I guess you did have HD, but HD back then was, you know, 720 more often. And other than that, you had your standard definition. And even your really expensive cameras back then were still shooting like standard definition or 720. Uh, it isn't, you know, till more recently that even the more expensive stuff started to get the, the high resolution. So let's talk a little bit about motivation.
2: So like when you started out, I mean, where was, um, I guess the industry and YouTube and social media and everything like that, Uh, because I think some people get into, you know, I think they get into filming, not necessarily for the wrong reasons, but they think it's going to, you know, pan out to be, you know, the next big thing or the next YouTube sensation or something like that. So like, what was the climate like? starting out and what where did your motivations lie
3: yeah it was definitely smaller and really the only place that i ever shared my videos to at least starting out was on forums you know you'd have forum discussions and then sometimes it'd be easier to try and describe a certain thing via video than to try and tech or uh, type it out or do a little photo blog and a lot of guys at the time were just starting to kind of get into the filming game and, and share hunts with each other and occasionally you'd get you know, self filmed hunts that would show up as little, um, you know, side segments on bigger shows like Solo Hunter or something like that. But, you know, it was definitely, a. I think, in the overall climate, it was definitely not what it is now. It was, there was not very many channels back at the time that were doing the YouTube thing and the ones that were their shows, at least the ones that tried to make them like shows, it was much more similar to what you would see on TV as opposed to Videos that are much more, you know, kind of driven now toward what we would expect out of like a YouTube style. So, just definitely a different style nowadays on YouTube, what you see versus what was kind of available at the time. And I would say that for me, m- none of my stuff ever was kind of like the TV equivalent. It was always just kind of a, you know, a smaller kind of my own thing, but I always tried to, to make it as, you know, professional looking as I could within the context of what I was trying to create. And so then how did
2: that evolve into like your channel and kind of like what you're, you're doing now?
3: Yeah. So basically I think the first big video that I had was actually a how to video on just a you know, quick, easy way to hang a tree stand and do it efficiently and climb up the tree with one, one trip up as opposed to, you know, one stick at a time and then going back down to the, the ground to get your second, third, fourth sticks, et cetera. And at the time, it was just kind of straightforward. You know, I, I tried to to do a good job on it, and you know, over the years, that's been one of the more popular videos that I had, you know, built for YouTube. And beyond that, I just kind of started to to build additional videos, kind of in that same type of segment. You know, the hunting videos were there, but they were never kind of the main the main thing. I'm starting to get more into the hunting videos now, but certainly, I think it was the DIY type videos where i either build stuff or how to videos where I explain how to do stuff that kind of really built my, my niche, so to speak.
2: And so, um, I guess like for, um, guys that are trying to get into YouTube or, or more, moreover just film their hunts. I mean, I guess what from, from doing more, uh, filming of your hunts from, um, all of the years of, you know, I mean, one of the things that I would say that you're kind of known for is like really liking and trying and explaining gear. Um, and I have seen the evolution with your like camera equipment and, and different things. Um, so what would you say to new guys starting out, trying to film their hunts? Like if, if, if you were starting today and you were telling yourself, you know you were you were asking yourself that question how would you answer it
3: on the equipment side of things or just kind of in general well like realistically, what kind of what kind of scope you should
2: be doing well both i think guys like i said uh you know before we got on here is like there's a lot of uh analysis paralysis you know there's you know gopro you know whatever it is nine now ten there's 360 cameras there's there's tacticams there's Um, you know, mirrorless, DSLR, consumer, prosumer, you know, audio, all of this other stuff, you know, the cell phones, you know, do a great job. And then like stylistically, you know, what do you, what do you need? You know, what do you really need? Do you need, you know, 4k for, you know, depending on what you're doing,
3: you know, so kind of
2: like the, the entire picture.
3: Yeah. So, what I would recommend is trying to keep it as simple as you can. And there's a, a bottom limit to that. You know, a lot of times when people are kind of thinking maybe they want to start filming their hunts. They'll oftentimes throw out, well, can I just strap, you know, go pro to my bow or something like that. And while, you know, a certain level that's good because it's easy and you can focus on the hunt. Generally, I think the footage quality that they might expect to get by doing something like that is probably not really what they're after and generally speaking you know, the kind of the, the bottom limit that you probably want to get into if you want to really start to to see if self filming is something that you want to continue to do year after year would be just a basic camera arm camcorder preferably that has 4K capabilities and has the ability to have a shotgun microphone attached to it and a separate action cam i'd say like those are the the base you know pieces of equipment that if you can keep it simple and you can get like one of those types of things, then you can piece together a pretty good story. And and really, even with a basic level, you know, lower priced equipment within those categories, it's more the skill set that you'll build as you get to learn those things more and more that are really help make that better, more so than the equipment. So, I guess, like, for myself,
2: like, one of the things that Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about, but like, well, I guess before we get there, so what would that, what would that look like for you? I guess if you were setting up a a gear list with a, with a camera arm, with an action cam, with that, that 4k camcorder, um, I guess where would you, uh, point guys?
3: Well, a camera that I've been pretty happy with on the. And I, I hate to say it's even like lower end because I know for some people it's going to still sound like sticker shock. Like the Sony AX53, if you can find one used, I want to say you can probably find them in like the 500 to $800 range, maybe even less than that if you find a good price on it. A camera like that's going to have 4K capabilities, going to have great stabilization, decent low light. It's going to allow you to adjust some manual settings, which is not necessarily something you need to do but it's, it can help you kind of bridge the gap. If you do want to get more professional down the road and pairing that with something like, a a road shotgun microphone, I have the, the road video, mic NTG, which I've been really happy with, but even something like, a a road, uh, video go, or something that's a little bit less expensive. Still going to be fine, at least to start out with and, and kind of learn the ropes camera arm wise. It, really, I think it depends on what kind of hunt, what kind of hunting you're going to be doing. Because if you're if you're setting up in the back forty every time, then I would tend to lean towards maybe a little bit lower priced or bigger, bulkier, more stable camera arm. Whereas if you're more of a mobile hunter, then I would definitely lean towards more of the uh, ultralight systems that are out there. You know, the the fourth arrow, uh, the Talon, or the Out on a Limb Assassin, or the Lone Wolf Custom Gear pocket arm. Those are going to be much more Favorable from like the hunting perspective and and actually you know toting the thing in and out of the woods, but generally speaking, with those ultralight camera arms, are not going to be as stable as something like a, a big muddy camera arm or something that weighs like eight pounds. So, I'd say on that side of things, it's kind of it's kind of preference based off of the style of hunting that you do. Um, and then for the action camera, really you know anything will anything will do. Preferably something that has 4K. I'll explain, I guess, why in a bit, but, you know, the GoPros, you don't even have to have, like, the latest and greatest uh, if you can find an older one or, like, an Osmo Action or uh, a 4K from Insta360. I, I would tend to shy away from, like, the 20 $30 Amazon ones because I've heard some horror stories about them just not working that great or, like, you know, the quality control not being good. But any, like, name, brand, reputable action camera is going to be good enough at least to to start with and get that second angle that you'd be looking for, so I guess like basic gear list that I would recommend to somebody thinking about getting into it. That's kind of what I would initially push out there, and then they can look at that and, and look at the price tag. And if that's like definitely on the high end of what they're expecting, then you know filming can be expensive, so that, that'd be like a good segue to think about like is this something I really want to do? But on the other hand, if somebody's like yeah that's well within my budget, then then perhaps there are options too that you could even jump right into that. Would be a little bit higher ends than than like the Sony AX53, but I think it's a good enough camera to give you really good quality and still be able to kind of learn the ropes without being you know too much in debt on it.
2: Yeah. So one of the things I was going to ask you, and it's, it it kind of goes back to that that bare bones like setup, is I want to know like how you deal with or maybe if maybe you just are are so. Uh, you know, 100% gung ho. But I know for most guys, myself and John, you know, we end up with this like incredible burnout. So for me, like on those days, like day six, day seven, you know, rain days, whatever, is like, I find myself, um, you know, on my phone, just getting, you know, an interview, like walking in or in the car, uh, getting like a, a panoramic shot or whatever. And then I'll have Like my action cam, like we've, you know, we deal with tactic cams, So we've got tactic cams on our bows and it's like, I feel like at that point I'm going to get what I get, but I think the, like what you were talking about earlier, like the stylistic portion is like, I know that I can build a story around what I started with and then having that shot and that interaction. Um, But I think that goes more into like the, the storytelling side of it. So what do you, uh, how do you deal with
3: that burnout or that fatigue? Honestly, it just has become kind of part of it for me by this point, but I definitely understand what you're talking about and where you're coming from. Cause it does, especially if you feel like you're on say like a seven day trip or a hunt or your vacation, and you know, it's just not going the way you'd like. And you know, that good, you know, a footage, you don't have a lot of deer on camera it can get kind of discouraging. Um, and you can kind of get into that mindset where it's like, man, I, I might as well just, you know, I'm not going to take the camera out and film this little 15 minute interview. It's, you know, and you kind of get, I guess, sidetracked a little bit down in the dumps. And I think part of that is just that general burnout or fatigue that can kind of creep in, not just in the filming side, but just your, your hunting mentality in general. And so it's always, it's always kind of good to just kind of force yourself through that. Uh, If you think it's important, go ahead, you know, take a clip and, you know, it's, it's always a good idea, I think regardless of what your storytelling method is to at least kind of think about and visualize how you see the video going in your mind. And, and there's techniques that you can use in videography, like storyboarding or whatnot, that people will do more commonly with like filmmaking. But just kind of learning some of those techniques and, and trying to piece together how the story is going to go together and what type of clips you might want to take to help portray that story. That can be really good to think about ahead of time. And then you know if you're out there and you haven't gotten those clips that you know you're gonna want to be able to tell your story, you better figure out a way to, you know, find time to go ahead and get those segments. And if you're if you're more of like a, um, you know, a, an action style, you know, bring the deer along for the hunt, then maybe it's a lot of cell cam interviews and quick clips, and then you know that paired with the the deer footage and shot footage. If it's a more filmistic or like a filmic style, then Maybe it's more b-roll shots and maybe you you bring a slider in your backpack and you just you have a shot list you're like i want to get these types of shots you know somewhere throughout the week so that i can use those to um you know put on my storyline over you know some b-roll background music or something like that so it's always good to keep in mind what your style is ahead of time so you can get clips along the way to help fill the gaps so uh just
2: real quick you know, we got to take it back to the the listener that's, you know, the new guy that's thinking, hey, can I just use a GoPro or a Tacticam on my bow? Um, and now you're telling me that I need a shot list and I need to, like, so what about the guy that doesn't have a style, that doesn't have a camera, that doesn't have anything? I mean, is there a style that's maybe easier to start out with for, for guys? Or, I mean, because yeah. I feel like when I started out, it was like, uh, there's a deer, I'm going to shoot at it. And obviously, like, I missed... And, you know, I just had the worst career beginning filming hunting. It's ama- it's amazing that I even still do it, but I didn't do any of that stuff because it was the third day or the fourth day or it was raining or snowing. And then, you know, so I wasn't, there was no style even in, in my thought process. So let, let's, let's take it back to like, you know, is there a style or like a, a, a thought process going into it from like day one? Like, what would you tell Garrett on day one? Yeah,
3: so I mean it's it's easiest to just kind of ignore that when you're first starting out and just work on getting the the footage, you know, throughout the hunt, throughout the shot and just practice that skill set because it is hard. You know, it's hard to to get footage of a deer, it's hard to make sure you're actually focusing on also getting footage, you know, while the deer's coming in, trying to make a shot, you know, while the the deer's in frame. Like that's it's hard work and and to try and piece together a story on the side on top of that it's you know there's a reason not a lot of people do it right so certainly i would say that that skill set that comes with just being able to connect the dots and get everything done is totally fine if you're just starting out and it'll really help you learn to try and figure out if it's something you want to continue to do or not but then i would also encourage people to think about what it's going to look like. From the viewers perspective and more so who do they expect their audience to be you know are they going to be showing their friends and family are they going to be uploading to youtube are they going to try and create like a channel that they eventually want to make like a big part of their you know you know quit their job and do it full-time type of a thing are they trying to get in the outdoor industry you know just kind of thinking on that kind of level to figure out who's going to be my audience and then thinking about what the footage is going to look like to them right like let's say for example you're just focused on getting the the hunt footage, and more specifically, the footage of the shot. You know, if you turn on the camera that's attached to your bow, you draw back, you get the shot on film, and then you have some, you know, post-hunt, you know, hero footage. And then when you play that back, you're not going to really be able to tell a story. You're just going to have that footage from basically one angle of the deer walking in, however long that takes, the shot, and then the deer runs off, and then your excitement at the end. And if that's what you want to present, then that's totally fine. But you can imagine how that doesn't really build a lot of relationship with the viewer when they're just kind of plugged into this scenario that they don't really know what's going on. They don't have the same history that you do hunting that land. They don't know what's you know special or unique about that particular situation. And so that the, thinking about that and those kind of, you know, that perspective of what your viewer might be seeing or what they might be feeling or thinking. That can help drive. Okay, maybe I need to start including clips of you know X, Y, or Z also, so I can start to you know put a story together around that particular hunt, because that might make the overall viewing experience a little bit more complete. So for
2: guys that do want to start filming and and things of that nature, you know, maybe start a YouTube channel or whatever. Um, you know, you said that your journey kind of started with you know DIY stuff tips and tricks you know informational type stuff um one of the things i have a a ongoing conversation with one of my buddies and it's like you know we don't kill enough things on camera or aren't engaging enough or don't you know dedicate the time to you know produce a hunting video like you do or like the the hunting public or like chain simpson where, where you're bringing them along for each hunt even if you don't kill anything um so for most guys that probably aren't going to start out like vlogging every day of their hunt and producing it is there um like a video or like um maybe something to start with that you'd recommend like to get them used to editing and uh because i mean i would imagine that'd be like the worst thing is that you go out and you you shoot something you don't have necessarily all the stuff that you need to to produce that type of thing, you're going to end up with a channel with one video of uh, just a, a, a kill and a, a hero shot. Like, so would you recommend like a practice video or like to try and do some other things like leading up to actually the hunt, maybe to build that relationship or tell that story?
3: Yeah, there's there's two things that'll kind of fit that, fit the bill for that. And one of them is going to be a little bit easier. One's going to be a lot more involved, but a gear review type of a video that's a really great opportunity where literally anybody can do a gear review video. If they've had experience with, you know, any particular product and they can stylistically do it however they want, because there's no stress. They got all the time to be able to to get the various clips and whatnot that they need. They'll be able to practice on talking to a camera. they will be able to figure out how the audio needs to work. They can get various B roll shots and learn kind of how their camera works and what various steps of field look like. And, be able to spend as much time as they want putting those clips on the timeline and playing it back and saying okay this doesn't, this doesn't you know seem how i had it you know this doesn't look how i thought it was going to go in my mind and maybe i need to film this a little bit differently or that but the point is you have a lot of control and a lot of time and, and not a lot of pressure to be able to put something like that together And if you're not happy with the end product then like it's no big deal it's not like you know there's a lot riding on the, the completion of that particular video or having it done right like there is with a hunt so that would be a good one that is great for practice but also is something that could provide you know legitimate value to the people out there trying to learn about whatever your whatever it is that you'd be reviewing the other one that is a little bit more involved and and oftentimes still can be tied together with that one good hunt would be something that's more like a a short story or a you know a film where You might have at the end of the day, a 15 minute or a 10 minute or a five minute finished product, but you're telling a story and you have a script that you go through and you have a lot of, you know, B-roll shots and footage that ties together how that story should go. And people are really good at it, can tell a great story without basically any hunt footage. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of planning and you learn a lot along the way. It's something I've never really dove too deep into. But if you watch like some of the film submissions at you know, the various festivals that they play at like the ATA show um, or even like just on YouTube, there's a, a lot of just general hunting short films. Those would be good. And a lot of times give people inspiration to try and get into filming in the first place, So just kind of look at those and, you know, get little bits and pieces to see if that's something I want to try and tackle. But I would say certainly for people just starting out, it would be easier to tackle something like a, a gear review.
2: Okay. And so when you were talking about equipment, you talked a little bit about, um, like, 4K and why you would need it. Um, So when I look at 4K, obviously I see um, the benefit where you could be wide and you could uh, crop in a little bit better. Uh, But from my perspective also, like, if a guy's just starting out, maybe he's, uh, you know, it's just going to go on YouTube. It's going to be seen on a phone or a, you know, I mean, I know people are watching YouTube on big TVs now, so, you know, maybe that would be uh, one of the reasons, but also like to try to edit 4k on just a regular old computer can be a bit cumbersome. So, um, you know, what are some of the reasons that you're leaning towards
3: uh, 4k as a staple? Yeah, that's a good point. You bring up about the processing power that it can take, So that's something I, I kind of take for granted because I've had, I've bought good enough computers to be able to handle 4k, no problem over the years. So it's usually not something that's kind of at the the top of my mind, but the reason that I like 4k for self-filming especially is just what you mentioned before is that you can, you can stay on the safe side a little bit and stay a little bit more zoomed out. And then you have the flexibility and freedom to crop your shot in a little bit in post. And that means your framing doesn't have to be totally perfect you can be a little bit off the deer can be just kind of on the edge of the frame but you're zoomed out far enough that when you go to edit it you can crop in you know 50 or yeah you can crop into you know twice of what your main image would look like and it still looks if you export it in 1080 like a 1080 you know clip so that's the biggest advantage for my mind If you want to keep it in 4K, you can and it still exports in 1080 and it's basically like super sampled 1080, it looks really good. So you can have that major flexibility there. The one thing I would add is that not every camera is going to allow you to do different frame rates in 4K. So if you want to choose 4K, you might not be able to do, say, like 60 frames per second and be able to have good like slow motion shots. So that's just something you have to, to keep in mind. But I oftentimes, even if I can only film in like your normal standard 30 frames a second in 4K for self-filming, I usually prefer that. And then if I know I'm just going to be doing like B-roll shots or or bonus footage, then a lot of times I'll put it into 60 frames a second so that I can slow it down if needed to, if need be. And then the the 1080 for those types of things is usually fine because you have more time to be able to set up your framing and your shot a little bit better and you're going to... Not really need to have to crop in that much, and if you're going to be exporting it in 1080, which is all I ever do anyway for YouTube, then you're going to be just fine there. So where do
2: you land on the? I guess it was like maybe it'll we can go into your style a little bit, but on like getting the shot on frame, does that make or break the the hunt, um, or d- does that make a decision for you whether you're
3: going to shoot um, type thing? I think it depends on overall what else you got. If you don't have much additional footage and let's say you're, you're trying to make a YouTube name for yourself and you don't really have an established presence yet and that particular hunt, maybe there's not a lot of like background footage to help set the scene and the deer comes in, you get a little bit of footage and he's off frame and you shoot then that's a little bit different than let's say if you've already established a name, you got a couple of people that are, you know, kind of rooting for you a little bit and you've built a good storyline with the beginning of the, the video. Then I think a lot of times, and you see this, especially with the hunting public where they can not get a shot on, on film and nobody really cares because they, they feel like they've already had a relationship established with the people that are on the camera and they want them to succeed. And so I guess it's, it's kind of a tough question to answer. Ultimately you got to decide what's more important to you. Is it more important that you, you know, are able to to fill your tag or do, would you rather get the, the shot on film? I tend to lean personally now towards it's not as important for me to get that shot on frame because you know, what we do already is so hard. Um, especially if you're, you know, hunting on public land or doing out of state trips, like it's just not easy and trying to film it is not easy either. And I think that in and of itself, especially to the similar minded people, there's already a little bit of rapport established there, just knowing kind of what you're doing. And so people are going to be a little bit more lenient on you. I think if you don't get the, the hill shot on video, but that's, I could be totally off of that. That's just kind of my, how I think about it. That's also why I start running like 360 cameras and stuff, just because less, there's less chance that I don't get the shot on, on film at all. Yeah. Um,
2: like I said, I want to get into the, the 360 uh, cameras and stuff here in, in a moment too, but um, I just want to know like what your style is or kind of like where you, you fell on that. But since John's being awful quiet over there, I want to ask you, have you ever, uh, you know, been, had your camera on one deer and then shot a different one and uh, haven't, haven't been able to figure that out? Cause that, that seems to be John's MO.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, man. <laughs>
3: No, I don't think I've ever had that happen. Although I, I usually don't always have a a lot of deer around me at any one time. It's usually just like the you know one or two makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> like I said he was just being awful quiet over here. Yeah,
1: so. <laughs> sorry, I'm off in La La Land over here. I'm thinking about the all this filming and stuff because I'm heading to Florida on Wednesday, and I'm going to be on a boat for a week fishing, and Adam. Literally gave me a bag of gear that I got to figure out on the way down pretty much. Because I got like, I swear, three or four of the fisheye cameras and the regular tactic cams, GoPro. He handed me the freaking, it's not a DSLR, but it's...
2: Yeah, the FC300.
1: And I haven't even touched that camera yet. So I'm like, sweet. And then he drops off a, a, a new computer to me right now. I mean, literally, I'm leaving and. You know, a day. <laughs> so and expects me to come back with footage and get it.
2: Oh, I don't expect anything. It's it's the like what Garrett was talking about. How the the viewers are rooting for us. Our listeners are rooting for you, John. This is your time to
3: shine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would this be a bad a bad time to jump in and say how important it is to have really high level familiarity with your equipment?
1: <laughs> no, I, I think that that's. Imp- just as important right and that's what i'm thinking i'm like oh man after all the the crap that i've you know i've carried the camera around now for what three years four years three or four years and like i said i i carried the freaking muddy you know adam's like oh here you you can have this one and i swear it was like eight pounds i got this huge muddy pro you know arm and i got a camcorder that fits in the palm of my hand And then I'm trying to go in, you know, and I'm, you know, I hunt just public land, you know, like, like just the mobile hunter. And that definitely wasn't a mobile unit.
3: <laughs> no. For sure. I mean, the camera sounds like it was, but it certainly not the arm.
1: Right. Yeah. So like for,
2: for John, um, you know, he, he gets all my hand me down stuff, um, wh- whatever's, uh, whatever's left over. But I think he's got a pretty good familiarity with his hunting rig right now. And uh, these are just the Tacticam fisheyes, so you just, I mean, they all link up to the remote, and you just push the button. But yeah. he's got a million different mounts, and, you know, I don't know what, what he's going to have the setup for on the boat, so.
1: Yeah, well, it's the center console, so I got, I mean, it will be nice to have multiple angles. I can put some on the T-tops, put some on the riggers on the back, you know, and then, they like said, I'll either have them in that time-lapse mode, because you can adjust. I did download the app for it, and. You can adjust it from like three, five to ten minutes, of some somewhere in that area, and then it'll just loop. And so, then if we get a fish on, I'll have it on camera. I'll just have to remember to go back and stop it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, you almost have to use that mode with with fishing because I've even I've even thought about how useful that could be at times. The loop mode for hunting, because then you don't have to worry about. You know, if you got it on a five minute loop or whatever, you don't have to worry about it being so precise to get everything turned on when the deer walks in, which can be a challenge with lots of cameras. That's one thing I'll say too about those tactic cams is that the, the single remote to turn everything on and start record. That's I wish more companies had that uh, functionality built in. Well, and I like the
2: fact that like with the older GoPros and maybe the newer ones are a little bit better, but uh, that using that remote you know that took battery life away from the camera and it was sitting there thinking the whole time and in cold weather it was just death to i mean oh, yeah, can... the, the remote and the and the GoPro itself and these just used like that uh rf kind of like your uh tv remote so it's you know just micro bits of electricity mm-hmm. so i mean that is a thing for me but it, honestly like i hate like the apps whether it's gopro or tacticam i don't like the remote so i like i like the fact that the tacticam is at least a little tactile so i hit the button and it <laughs> it and it's on so i like know that i turned it on because i mean we've all done that i feel like if you've filmed long enough that you didn't hit record or you double tap the button or something
1: or you hit the record button that, that's, that happened to me again this year with a nice buck i didn't get a shot or anything but i was just trying to get him on camera and Shoot, thought I had it on camera. Oh, the coyote, same thing. It's like, man, I guess. And and this is the same camera, pretty much. Well, no, you got me the G thirty uh, mm-hmm. this year, so I was. And the the button is a little bit different than the other one, but yeah, that you
2: know. that gear familiarity definitely um, is important. So I mean, I feel like this is like getting John. Familiar for hunting season, like for turkey season here coming up.
1: So. Well, we did get, we had, we have got tons of footage of my turkey last year. We had what, five cameras going? Seven. Seven. <laughs>
2: so we, so we have this, you
1: know, my father-in-law and, and his hunting
2: partner killed a bird like opening day. And they had like. Opening morning. Yeah. Two or three cameras going. And, uh, I mean, they're in their sixties and they managed, you know good enough. Um, I mean, they did a, they did a phenomenal job for what we gave them and their level of understanding of filming or, or whatever. Um, and then when we all got together to film John's, like there's four cameras, I think with the kill shot on it. I mean, it was phenomenal, but that now there's too much to edit. It's (laughs) like, how do you put that all together? so we're saving that one for this year for pr- production
3: <laughs> yeah and kind of even there's almost like an inverse relationship between how easy it is to get the footage and how easy it is to edit the footage you can like you like you said you can have five different action cameras running at the same time and you have a pretty good chance of getting the footage that you want to get on one of those cameras at least but then there's so much work in editing and if you're in a workflow where you're You're hunting every day and then you're dumping footage every day and trying to get a you know video you know exported essentially every couple of days that can be a lot to go through whereas like that single camcorder with a big giant battery on it and just one sd card even though it gives you a little bit you're a little bit more um it's a little bit more critical to get all the footage on that camera it's a little bit tougher the editing for it is so much easier because you basically just have like one card that you can dump all of your footage on and then it's all organized already. So it's basically that much less time in editing that you have to go through and line everything up. And so, yeah, there's, there's definitely a balance there. Well, and I
2: know you're on a lot of those, uh, the same self filming groups and, you know, film your hunt type groups that I am on Facebook as well. And, um, you know the same group, the same question every day, every day, every day is, what's the best editing software, the best free editing software, the best cheap editing software, um, and so where would you steer guys in that, to to answer that question?
3: I think the best free one out there's probably DaVinci Resolve. Uh, I, I downloaded that for a little bit and played around with it when I was contemplating getting the Adobe Creative Cloud suite. And it's pretty powerful for what you get. There's a couple of features that you're not going to be able to access without paying for the pro version. But I mean, you're talking about stuff like, you know, video denoising and and things that you probably really wouldn't, if you were an entry-level guy wanting to use anyway, so that's kind of what I would probably steer people towards if they're looking for a, you know, a free software to be able to try out. And there's lots of tutorials on how to use it on YouTube.
1: Yeah. There's even they even have like the how-to videos in the actual app or the program. Yeah. that's what I have that on the big tower computer that Adam brought over and dumped here. (laughs) And uh, he's like, here, download this. (laughs) And I actually did one video on that. I did my perch cooking video and it was, it was definitely a learning experience. And then, then we were having some issues with the, the card or the, Exporting. Yeah, exporting it and everything. And then Adam's running, you know, Apple. So then it's like, okay, sending the stuff from from you know from my you know my computer over to his. It was just kind of I you don't know, kind of a pain for you know, I'm an old guy, so <laughs> so just... so what is it that you're
3: using to edit? I'm using the Premiere Pro CC from Adobe. Okay, and I guess
2: what would be, uh, are you just not a Mac guy, or because it seems to be like, like either whatever that what is it like the Pro Tools or Adobe, like those seem to be like the main, the main two.
3: Yeah, I've never, I've never really used a Mac, like throughout my life. So that's part of it. It's just a familiarity thing, and obviously they cost a lot more for the same amount of power from a processing standpoint so i i know that macs are obviously very popular for people in the you know the artistic realm video and photo and and things like that um but i just never have gotten familiar enough to want to go down that route so i've always been a pc guy and have used adobe premiere let's see that they have one below premiere pro Premier Elements, I think. I got some exposure to that in high school. And because I had that exposure, I ended up getting the um the collegiate priced license of C S six for Premier Pro in college. And then I stuck with that for several years until it finally just got outdated enough that I finally upgraded to C T. So it was basically a familiarity thing more than anything for me.
2: Okay. And now you'd mentioned earlier about like why you were using or why it's fun to use the, uh, uh, the 360 cam. And I've seen you using that more and more. Um, it, I know nothing about those and it seems like pretty cool, but again, like, it seems like the editing would be kind of daunting because you have to know, like, I, I don't know anything about it. So what, what can you tell us about the 360 cams and their, their value?
3: Well, they're really easy to get footage, but they're much harder on the editing side. And certainly some of the apps make it easier. Like uh, the camera that I have is an Insta360 camera and and all the Insta360 cameras have pretty good software through their apps where they can stitch the footage from the two lenses together. And you're able to apply keyframes pretty easily and crop footage and and zoom. And they even have some little stylistic things that are kind of pre-made plug and play with your footage that you can use. But uh, it's definitely not as straightforward as just dragging a clip onto your timeline and just you know trimming it to your desired length and then moving on to the next one. The way the 360 cameras work is that they have those two lenses, and they're each recording simultaneously. And then as you're recording, the camera's taking in all that information. And you know you have your two footage clips, but there's also a bunch of data that goes along with that clip. Once you drag and drop those files to the computer, which tend to be pretty large files, then within your software, you have to stitch those two videos together. And the computer does that for you using the, the data and the two video files. But then you're able to go ahead and you know recrop and reframe and apply keyframes to basically take that spherical view and show the the footage that you want to show when you want to show it and then export your final clip. So it's almost like you have to edit before you edit in a certain sense. You got to edit your 360 footage to get the framing that you want. And then you take that exported clip and then you drag that onto your timeline. At least that's my workflow for it.
2: And so would you say that's like a more advanced type thing or, or would you say that that would be, you know, a benefit over just a regular point of view cam for somebody starting out in addition to a main
3: camera of some sort? I'd say it can definitely be beneficial primarily from the aspect that it captures everything. If you got the computer that can handle the files, then really the only disadvantage over an action camera is that your footage quality isn't gonna be quite as good. Because if you are running a 360 camera, let's say that records in 5.7K, which sounds pretty good, that's really split between the two lenses. So at the end of the day, you're, end, you're, you're ending up with like a 1080p quality crop of any given place that you angle that camera. Whereas if you were filming the same thing with like a GoPro at 4K, if you were to crop in, you're gonna see a little bit higher resolution image with that 4K action camera than you would with the 360 camera. So really the biggest advantage there is that you're kind of hedging your bets that you are you can really film everything. And there's some creative things that you can do with it too, like the invisible selfie stick and and things like that. But so, so certainly if there's a creative aspect to why you'd want to have a 360 camera, there's some things you can do with those that you just simply can't do with other cameras. Um, but if you're just looking for it from the aspect of being able to film everything, then you can. It's just a little bit harder to work with it after the footage is captured.
2: Okay. So uh, I guess along more along the gear side of it, like going back to that guy that's just starting out and that he's overwhelmed looking at all this stuff that's out there and you know we've talked about it, a bunch of different cameras a bunch of different options benefits all the other things like what would you say is maybe like the most overrated or overhyped uh, piece of like filming equipment and maybe like the most underrated and something that you would not you know want to
3: overlook but often is I'd say underlooked I'll start with that one first I think it's a little bit easier. And it's not probably underlooked for everybody, but definitely for certain people, I think it is. And it's just audio in general, but more specifically, audio on whoever it is that you're trying to film. You know, if you're just filming a hunt, then certainly a shotgun mic is going to be a huge asset, one that has a good windscreen on it. So you're not going to get a lot of wind noise. But then also, if you have some kind of a lavender mic on your person, you know, on your body where you have that thing clipped on pretty close to your collar, then that's going to make your. know talking into the tree or talking into the camera footage when you're in the tree or on the ground especially if you're not right next to the camera it's going to make that audio sound a whole lot better
1: that's what i was kind of worried about i mean coming up on this fishing trip if i'm gonna be talking and stuff it's like i'm gonna be out on the boat in the wind and i don't even know how well these fisheye cameras are going to be for sound i mean i mean
2: yeah i messed with them when we were when we were ice fishing and they actually do pretty good but I think the wind is going to be definitely an issue, but I think with the other videos that I've done with, um, with fishing and things and, you know, I mean, essentially you're, I mean, I know you pay more attention to like, you know, the South Florida Fishing Channel, Gale Force Twins, like, uh, Dear Me for Dinner, where they're like telling a story, I mean... When I was doing it, it was just all of, like, the fast, striking. Like, if you watch, like, bow fishing videos, it's just, like, music and then all the stuff. So Right, yeah, but I that's, mean, you know. It, but you'll have another camera to, right.
1: if you want to do that. Or, or you, maybe could, you have to do some voiceover or something. But Because when I'm watching those videos, I'm trying to learn. Like, because obviously I'm not down in Florida, but once a year, maybe. And I want to, you know, I'm renting a boat and I'm going to be out there fishing for a week straight and I want to learn as much as possible from the people that are out there doing, you know, so, and then my point of view of like my kind of storyline, what I'm thinking about going down there is like a Northern guy going down to South Florida and fishing for a week, doing it himself on a boat and then trying to, you know, I've got, I got some old downrigger rods, you know, all this stuff from, you know, the, our big lake fishing. Which I'm trying to integrate into the saltwater, so, you know, that's my storyline. Like, so that's what you know. I want to be able to kind of put that in. Well, lucky for you, we've got an expert on the line to
2: say, "Hey, how would you go about <laughs> doing a uh, uh, doing the audio on a, on something like John just outlined?"
3: Well, how many people potentially would there be that you would want to hear what they have to say?
1: Ex- explain again. What do you mean? So, who who's going to be doing the talking?
3: Oh, just just me. Okay. So what I would do, and, and this is this is where, you know, you can definitely increase the work required to be able to edit the video, but the quality is going to be a lot better, is I would have a wireless, or not a wireless even, you, I would just have a, a recorder that you can have in like a chest pocket and then just have a lab mic with like a big, you know, furry windscreen over it clipped onto your collar right. and just have that thing running all day. Uh, if you have one of your cameras that has the ability to take a mic input, like a three and a half millimeter mic input, then something like a, a Rode Wireless Go, where you can have that audio wirelessly transmitted right into the camera, mm-hmm. makes life so much easier because then you don't have to take the audio from your recorder and figure out how it aligns with the footage that you have from your various cameras, right. especially if you have multiple cameras. If you got you know three different action cameras running and then you just have audio that's recorded in your pocket mm-hmm. and then you have those those various action cameras are taking clips at, at different times and you know they're they're splitting the clips in four minute intervals and the other one's splitting clips in half hour intervals and then you're trying to get that all to line up with your audio it can be really uh tough and time consuming so if you're going to have everything just running then you can kind of ease that a little bit by doing like a clap at the beginning to make a set point where you can align all your clips to. But if you're just doing like like, a loop mode on all your cameras, and then you catch a fish, then you go around, hit the button on all of your cameras, it's gonna be not impossible, but it's gonna be, I think, tough. So if you have the ability to have audio that goes right into one of those cameras at least, then that's gonna make your editing a little bit easier. We'll have to look into that. <laughs> well, we—I mean, we have the
2: ability to do all of that. Like, that's the thing, and that—I mean, that's, uh, I guess the the learning curve that that John and I have gone through. So that I've gone through. You just come down, Adam. I know you hate <laughs> fishing, but you could just
1: be the cameraman and the freaking, you know. Then you could like post or edit the videos and get them out while we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't really budget for that in my timeline this year. Um not that
2: I wouldn't love to, but, uh, I mean, and that's kind of the great information here is that like, I I'm trying to, um, you know, uh, like kind of curb the timeline or, you know, when you talk about that budget, like that five to $800 camera, um, you know, might be, uh, you know, like you said, sticker shock to, to somebody, except for the fact that, you know, we have four GoPros and mics and recorders and, you know, a bunch of, you know, $100, $200 cameras that, you know, we've, we've gone through all of this working up to, you know, kind of stuff that we really want to work with, um, at this point. So, I mean, we have drawers and drawers and drawers full of cameras and mics and wires and batteries and, and all of that. So I mean, a- anything that we can do like on this podcast, uh, kind of, kind of one and done,
3: you know, the guy starting out, I think is incredibly yeah. helpful. And and I would almost say that, you know, if it came down to, you could spend whatever money you have on one camera, or you could spend less money in the camera and, and spend a little bit more on like the audio equipment too. It's kind of like a rifle on your optics, right? They always say, you know, spend as much as you. As you can on your optics and then you know whatever's left you buy the gun with it's kind of the same type of deal with video where audio is important enough that because if you have a video where it's just like a bunch of wind noise nobody's gonna watch it it's just gonna be tough to you know stick through it but if you have a good audio then that can override bad footage in some scenarios and if it if it comes down to it yeah you can spend less money on a camcorder and spend a little bit more on audio equipment but the the challenge is if you get too low in price in the camcorder then it's not going to really have the capability to have like audio inputs so you have to that's where kind of that little minimum like threshold comes in where i think if a guy's serious you probably want to get a camcorder that at least has a three and a half millimeter mic input and if you have that then a system that works pretty well is an audio splitter where you can have just your your three and a half millimeter you know mic input and that splits off into two cables one that goes into your left channel one that goes into your right channel one of those can go into a shotgun mic the other one can go into a wireless lavalier mic like the road wireless go and then you're able to simultaneously get audio from the shotgun mic and also your lavalier mic that's you know sitting in your chest pocket and so you can choose because it's, it's separate tracks you can go in your editing and you can choose i'm just going to delete the shotgun mic because all i care about is the guy talking right here or you can say, you know, all I got is, you know, breath noise on this clip. So I'm just going to delete that track and just stick with the shotgun mic. Or you can have them both running and it kind of gives you a more immersive uh, type of a sound experience. I mean, that's the system that I run on my, I have a, a Sony AX700 that I run. It's just like basically a step up in the AX53. But you could do the same thing with an AX53 style of camera or probably most cameras that would offer just that three and a half millimeter mic input. And then if you have somebody else to do the filming for you, then it's really easy to have just that main camera rolling and it's got great audio and you're getting all the clips that you want to get, and then your action cameras are just kind of getting B-roll and you don't even have to worry about the audio on those because it's not really important. But if you don't have that you know, primary source and you're trying to capture everything through just action cameras, then that's where it gets a little bit trickier to have good audio and also not just be a total nightmare in editing.
2: Well, when you talk about good audio superseding like you know, mediocre video, or you know, just okay. I think that's what this podcast is built on. Is we we made sure that we had good audio because we knew that we didn't know what we were doing when we got started. But we figured if people could stick it out and listen, then you know maybe they would get to know our personalities and,
1: and well, that, all that. And like I only say a few words at a time, so you really got to be good at you know catching that shit. So. <laughs> but that's what we
2: kind of focused on was the audio portion on this. So, I mean, I, I I totally get that. And I think one of the things that, you know, I, I know we've had people talk about it, but like, john's wife is like why are they always whispering like why like it's audio here audio there audio here and you know that's something that with hunting shows is is very difficult and then when you're watching elk
1: hunting it's the worst because you have super high pitched and then oh. super whispering like oh my gosh <laughs> terrible yeah it's like what i told the born and raised guys my wife freaking hates you and they're like what <laughs> i'm like yeah because i stay up all night listening to your you're watching your videos, and all of a sudden, a bugle gets ripped off after you guys have been whispering. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I guess, like that—that that
2: overrated piece. You know, what do you? What do you think would? Would you not necessarily have to? You know, you know, if you're going to spend your money on on the audio, spend your time on the audio. You know, what's something that you could? You know, maybe gets talked about a lot, but you know, maybe isn't as important.
3: I think from. From somebody like me who does a lot of research into like cameras and camcorders and stuff, even if I'm not planning on buying it, I like window shopping, I think the amount of money that you can spend on a camera can be overrated where you might be able to look at a camera that has all the specs that you would love to have in a video camera. And you might even know how to use all the functionality that it comes with. But at the end of the day, if you know how to get good footage quality with a, you know, a lesser priced system and you do your job as a filmer then the audience is not going to know the difference so i would say like between that and and maybe i I, for the mobile hunting crowd maybe the camera arm like total weight where everybody's just kind of racing toward like the lightest weight camera arm that can be balanced with like you know too much flex sometimes in an arm so if you're if you're only looking at like what the arm looks like on paper then that can be a little bit overrated sometimes you got to be able to see if it's also going to function with like the the camera weight that you have because a lot of times whatever weight rating they put on a camera arm is not necessarily what it's going to have stable footage with but more so like what the thing can physically carry so there's a little bit of a disconnect sometimes there but i would say probably more than that is is just how much video capability you really need Okay, yeah, I think that's really
2: important because that's what everybody's chasing is, I mean, how light, how packable, how... I just want the simplest
1: freaking (laughs) camera. Yeah, simplicity, I I think, trumps everything, really. Well, yeah, looking at that, you know, you brought that camera over and I was, like, looking at it and, like, I have no clue what all these freaking buttons are. I'm like, (laughs) I hope I don't. It's. I'm like, I'll probably be in, like, memory mode or some shit trying to freaking... (laughs)
3: and i'll be deleting shit but yeah it makes it tough when you can have like the best camcorder in whatever category you're in and then you also pick like the best action camera in whatever category you're in and you pick the best 360 camera and then you you pick up you know a gimbal type of a thing and you have like the best of the best of like whatever each of those individual categories is and then the things don't talk to each other. And it, it's a lot of work to get individually, all of them working at the same time when you're on a hunt with <laughs> something like the Tacticam, where you could argue like, man, yeah, maybe the footage quality isn't, you know, as on par with like a, a camcorder setup, but the ease of use has, you know, with that singular remote, there's, there's something to be said there.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, for, I think for most guys and uh, I've had, you know, we've had a, some conversations about it on, on uh, some other podcasts and stuff, but is like, it kind of even comes down to like where that weight thing is. Like you could have the lightest setup in the world, but if it's super cumbersome to set up or, you know, you know, I'd rather have a little bit more weight and a little bit easier ease of use, or like you were talking about on the camera arm too, like maybe just a little bit more stable, you know, to have that experience of being, you know, fluid and seamless getting everything set up then you know i mean you know we didn't really touch on any of it at this point but for a beginner you know a full dslr with interchangeable lenses and stuff is probably a little
3: bit cumbersome out of the box for you know someone starting out yeah unless they want to get into photography too then they're going to benefit from learning from that type of a system but
2: yeah. And that's one one thing one of the other questions I don't I don't think we've got I think we covered pretty much a lot of the things that I wanted to cover. But one of the our our listeners he wanted to know like as far as like a mirrorless or a DSLR setup for someone who um did want to get into photography or would take good pictures. Um did you have a recommendation for like a a good solid kind of starter camera there? Mm. That's a
3: tough one, because there's so many out there right now that are all good. And the rate at which they pump out new mirrorless cameras right now is so fast. I mean, it's like one or two a year from each company that what you had three years ago, five years ago, even, is still going to take fantastic photos. I think where some of the biggest gains are being made right now is on the video side of things, where you take some of the best of the best mirrorless cameras right now in the video. Ease of use and functionality they have is light years ahead of what was available five years ago. But on the photography side of things, I mean, the the people that are really into photography can nitpick on various little, you know, microscopic things. But they're they're not nearly as I mean, taking a photo isn't as hard as getting good video, in my opinion. And and maybe that'll you know get some photographers out there angry at me, but generally with a photo you have a little bit more time to set up your composition and everything and you can kind of get everything to look how you want to look and then you take a raw photo and you got all the time in the world to edit the colors on that photo whereas video sometimes you just got to get it right in the field and and so i think that's where it's maybe a little bit um more more flexible on the photo- photography side of things i got a, a sony nex 5r from several years ago that I do not even think I could sell used right now because it's so obsolete, but I paid like probably 400 bucks for it at the time. And it's an APS-C style sensor, which is much bigger than the sensors on most of the camcorders that we're you know, talking about. And it's got interchangeable lens works with the Sony e-mount system and it takes great photos, arguably not as good as, you know, some of the photos from the, you know, $2,000 systems that you can buy new right now, but, in the hands of a skilled photographer, the person looking at the photo is not going to be able to tell much of a difference, especially on a platform like, you know, Instagram or something like that.
2: Okay. Okay. So, um, before we let you go here, um, John always has a question, but before we get into that, I just wanted to say, um, so we're also working with uh, Spartan Forge. And so I figured, um, since you are working with them as well, and you put out the video and you've been kind of going through all the, putting it through its paces, um, you know, so what is your take on that whole, uh, platform? It's super interesting, um, and really cool. But for us, you know, he launched it right around like the rut time. So everything was like, you know, peak movement, you know, outside of their normal area. So it was, it was somewhat seemed predictable.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly I think the thing that's most intriguing about it is the way that the data is put together is just not like anything else that's out there right now. You know, everything else for the most part is based off of observational data from people that oftentimes, you know, might have a more controlled environment or maybe just not as broad of a depth across the country. You know, I talked to Bill and he shows me some of the data. You know, deer in the south don't do th- things the same way that deer in the you know Midwest would. And so it's tough to have one platform without having all of that regional data to be able to look at, to be able to make just kind of broad generalizations about deer across the country. And there's certainly times when whatever your prediction says is going to happen is kind of intuitive. But then there's also other scenarios where the app might say something that I'm not expecting. You know, maybe there's a cold front and that first day after says it's going to be Low activity day or core movement, and I'm like, well, that doesn't quite sound right. And then I go out there, and it it kind of reflects, you know, for whatever the reason was, the movement just wasn't there. I, I can think of one day in particular that happened this year. The trail cameras were dead. I didn't see anything. My wife didn't see anything. You know, big cold front had moved through. It should have been just ideal conditions, and the the app said low activity, and that's you know, what what basically you know bore out that day. So it's it's definitely interesting. And I I think it's cool that Bill is pretty transparent about like what what it can and can't do and just how how accurate you can like expect them to have to be when you're, you know, working with wild animals. Well I also
2: like the fact that you know, through all of the like actual collared deer studies and everything, but it's still ongoing. Like it's a living thing and like the more the more they get the better it is, you know. So it's it it isn't just you know based on you know like you said observational or like thumb in the air type stuff i mean it's it's completely evolving
3: yeah and and they have enough data now and and some of the stuff I've, I've talked to bill pretty in depth about um uh, they have enough data now that for what's presented on the app like it can get maybe a little bit more accurate with more and more data but it's it's already like very accurate compared to what you might expect would be the, the upper limit. And so as we get more and more data, then you're going to start to be able to see things that are maybe more, um, more specific, right? Like perhaps, you know, a certain subset of deer, or a certain region of the country with more data comes in that particular region might get more accurate, um, or a subset of the, the deer data might show slight differences, um, to where, yeah, like that specific area might have a little bit different reading than it would have before. But I think overall it's, like you said, it can only get better. It's probably not going to get worse. It, it shouldn't get worse based on the methodology. And right. it's already pretty good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I just thought it was, you know, worth mentioning because, you know, we can say, give our opinion on it and there's not a whole lot of people that are really out there, you know, testing it out, you know, and and going through the paces in which you normally go through some things. So. I, th- I thought it was worth mentioning
3: yeah yeah i definitely think it's pretty cool and i'm excited to see you know when the second portion of it comes out or you know like got the wear feature so mm-hmm.
1: so <clears throat> i think i've asked you this question before but um so what is your bow setup what bow are you shooting and uh arrows what's your whole setup
3: uh bow is i think tbd for this year last year i shot the gearhead uh year before that i shot the new breed's and headshot Botec prior to that. But this year, I'll probably, I'm thinking I might try out two or three and just kind of shoot them throughout the summer and then just get rid of whichever ones I don't you know, think is the, the top one. But I've been looking at the V3 from Matthews, the V30 from Expedition and uh, the V30 from Gearhead. Those are kind of my top three right now that I'm looking at. Yeah. And I'll basically have whichever one it is, probably set up at either 70 or 75 pounds, the 29 and a half inch draw That gives me, you know, plenty of energy to throw a little bit heavier arrows and still have, you know, speeds in the 265 to 275 range. And probably my arrow setup is going to be, I think, around 535, 540 grains this year. It was closer to the 510 last year Mm -hmm. at like 16 or 17%. uh, But I wanted to try out those iron will solid wides and they only come in 150 grain and up whereas before I had shot the 125 grain. So my overall arrow weight's going to get a little bit heavier just from that aspect, but I think the uh, I'll still be able to have very similar speeds to what I had last year. Cool.
2: So that's a, uh, I mean, a uh, pretty long or, uh, you know, maybe average draw length, but all of those bows are uh, short axle to axle uh, with the, with the thirties. I mean, I guess, with the gear head, that's a long gear head. But uh, for for a standard bow, thirty inches axle axles on the smaller side. Um,
1: Which, is there is there a reason why you're? Did you say the twenty nine in the V three, or the thirty uh, one? Uh, thirty one. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. So, well, that and like with well, the Matthews. I mean, even in, even at the thirty one inch, the way the the cams are. Yeah, the you know the cams are so big. The one the angle coming off. The top of the cam at full draw that's it's actually like more than mm-hmm. my uh one of my 32 inch axle axle bows or 33. yeah i mean kind of my
3: thought process was i wanted more maneuverability because i can't predict always what kind of a scenario i'm going to get into whether i'm going to be tucked into deadfall or climbing a tamarack tree that's got branches going everywhere or if i'm just going to be kind of out in the open like it's just a, a mix of scenarios and so there's certainly an advantage there to having a little bit shorter axle-to-axle bow. Last year, I shot the 24-inch, which was what I felt like at the time was probably the shortest bow that I could go and still have a string angle that I was comfortable enough with that I could still be reasonably accurate. And, and that was definitely the case. I mean, I could shoot that bow at, at 80 on a, a good day and shoot as good as any other bow that I've shot. Um, but it did take a little bit of work to finally get there. It was you know I had to get my draw length absolutely spot on. I used one of those bigger nose buttons to make the stringing a little bit less uh, acute. And so as I hunted with it, I was kind of thinking and evaluating each setup to, you know, could I, what's the biggest bow I could get by with in this particular setup? And a lot of the times you'd be in setups where it doesn't really matter. You know, I could get by with a 38 inch or a traditional bow or whatever, but then there'd be those certain scenarios where it was definitely, you know, more it was definitely favoring the shorter bow anytime I sit flat on the ground then I think the max for me is like 32 like and that's just barely cutting it like if there's any uphill at all then my cam's at risk of hitting the dirt so 32 is like I I have no desire or reason ever to get a bow longer than that for my torso length so the 30 kind of seemed like it was maybe a good balance there where I get a little bit of forgiveness off of like the max that I'm willing to shoot if I'm hunting on the ground But it still gives me a little bit more forgiving of a string angle than the twenty four did, and I think yeah, again, it was just kind of about striking that that balance for me.
2: Okay. The the only reason I asked and brought it up because they were all shorter to axle to axle bows, and I know that you're, you know, you put a lot of thought and you know everything is well thought out in what you do, and uh, I know you know Troy the Ranch Fairy, and he was just on social media bashing all over short bows and how they were terrible so i just, <laughs> I, just I just thought i had to ask <laughs> but um so uh, where can everybody follow along with with everything that you're doing or if they want to follow up with questions or anything um how can they how can they find you
3: yeah so my youtube channel is diy sportsman and that's where i put most of my content up on but probably the easier place to get a hold of me if you have like questions about anything would be either my Instagram page, which is DIY underscore sportsman or the Facebook page, uh, DIY Sportsman. And messaging me through there is usually gonna be a little bit, you know, easier, quicker to get a response. Cause honestly, with the, the comments on the YouTube channel, like I try to, you know, read and respond to all of them, but sometimes I just miss them. Um, and then, yeah, I, I still post stuff to the social media accounts too, but certainly the, the bulk of the content I would say is YouTube driven. <laughs> And then you still have a, a podcast? I do, yes. Uh, on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, I have uh, my own podcast. So you can either find that by searching the Sportsman's Nation, or you can actually just search DIY Sportsman podcast, and it'll pop up as well.
2: Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking the time and, and chatting with us and uh, you know, trying to warm up over there with those yeah. negative temps.
3: Yeah, I think we'll get above freezing in, like, another week maybe. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Well, I think that's all we got for this evening. All right,
3: sounds good.